You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers with your host, Bang and Dang. Bang here, Dang over there. Not with the mic up to his face yet because he's never ready when we're ready, but... Nevertheless, the show must go on. Outlaws and Gunslingers, another episode fresh off the epic two-part Jonestown, the massacres, the um, brainwashing, and the murders, and all that stuff that took place. So if you got, haven't listened to them, go listen to them. Last two episodes, part one and part two, out now. We were thinking about doing the Unabomber for our uh, next episodes after Jonestown, but... Those ones are probably going to be a part two as well, part one, part two, and we didn't want to do a part one, part two, back to back. So uh, we chose something that's going to be not as long, but probably something not a lot of people has heard of, because I've never heard of them before this, before doing the research on these guys, but it's called the Symbionese Liberation Army. Some of you older folks out there might have remember a kidnapping of a certain person that we're going to get to. That's maybe why people have heard of them, but other than that, probably not all of their other doings. But interesting little uh, story. We've got some action here, police shootout, and uh, some uh, other crazy things. So we'll get into it. The United States Federal Federated Forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army, also known as the SLA, was an American left-wing surprise organization <laughs> founded by Donald DeFries, whose alias was General Field Marshal Sink, C-I-N-Q-U-E, uh, and William Harris, whose alias was General Tico. Uh, they were active between the years of 1973 and 1975. They were considered a terrorist organization, organization by the FBI and American law enforcement. Obviously, when you see what happens, you'll understand why. Well, um, Donald DeFries wrote a manifesto called the Symbionese Liberation Army Declaration of Revolutionary War and the Symbionese Program. What? He wrote, the name Symbionese is taken from the word symbiosis, and we define its meaning as a body of dissimilar bodies and organisms living in deep and loving harmony and partnership in the best interests of all within the body. So it gives you an idea how kooky these guys are already, at least the leader guy. So it kind of sounds like the uh, that little town they had. In, uh, what was it, Portland or Seattle? Chaz, yeah. or Chop, or whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah. We're growing our own garden. <laughs> they need, they need, <laughs> we're growing our own garden. That was the funniest stuff. All they did was throw soil onto the ground and then <laughs> throw some seeds into they it. They tried to build a bed, yeah, and it didn't work out. <laughs> Anyhow, this political symbiosis defreeze describes means the unity of all left-wing struggles. Feminists, anti-racists, anti-capitalists, and others. There's no others. Oh, there's others. Yeah, I know. <laughs> others, that's... I never like the word and others. Uh, well, you know, it goes into our uh, running gag, our theme on this show. Um, right. And others several. and several others <laughs> and all that good stuff, you know. DeFries wanted all races, genders, and ages to fight together in a left-wing united front and to live together peacefully. Oh, it's thoughtful. His seven-headed SLA Hydra-like cobra symbol was based on the seven principles of Kwanzaa. Each head representing a principle, obviously. Makes sense. The Swahili the Swahili words for these seven principles are umaja, which is unity. 
Kuchichagula. Kuchichagulia, which is self-determination. Ujima, collective work and responsibility. Ujama, cooperative economics. Nia, which is purpose. Kumba, creativity. And Imani, which is faith. A Swahili, huh? The appearance of the symbol of the seven-headed cobra on SLA publications indicates that it was copied from the ancient Indian seven-headed naga, Absolutely. which was carved stones depicting a seven-headed cobra are commonly found near the sluices of the ancient irrigation tanks in Sri Lanka and are believed to have been placed there as guardians of the water. Nice. Uh, the particular graphic of the seven-headed cobra used by the SLA may have been copied from an illustration in the Lost Continent of Mu by James Churchward. Churchward. SLA are widely regarded by American law enforcement as the first domestic terrorist group to rise on the political left. Mm. So we, uh, no, in, in the seventies, there's not been no other ones before then in the, on the political left. That's hard to believe. Mm. I'd have to say that's hard to believe. Right. Seventies for sure. Was it the Black Panthers and all those? Aren't they the left or yeah, are they like just like far left? Well, these guys are far left. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Was Black Panthers left? I don't know. What, I don't know what they dealt with. They dealt with. I guess we'll have to re, uh, we'll have to visit that sometime. Uh, they definitely weren't Republicans. Well, obviously, <laughs> well, were they Democrats either? Were right. they? You know, that's true. SLA formed as a result of the prison visitation programs of the radical left wing group Venceremos organization and a group known as the Black Cultural Association in Soldad Prison. The idea of the South American style urban guerrilla movement, similar to the Tupamaros movement in Uruguay, combined with Regis Debray's theory of urban warfare and ideas drawn from Mayoism, appealed to a number of the people, including Patricia Michelle Soltzisk, her alias Ms. Moon. So basically, uh, all the South American style um, right. uh, revolutions and all that shit down there they're going for, huh? Sounds like to me, the SLA formed after the escape from prison by Donald DeFries, whose alias was General Field Marshal Sink. He had been serving five years to life for robbing a prostitute. <laughs> Whoa. Did five years of life? Soledad, I guess. I mean, down there, you can't be doing that stuff. All right. Uh, DeFries took the name Sink from the leader of the slave rebellion, which took over the slave ship Amistad, Amistad in uh, 1839. DeFries escaped from Soledad State Prison on March 5th, 1973, by walking away while on work duty in a boiler room located outside the perimeter fence. Really? Well, there's your first mistake. Right. Uh, DeFries has been accused by some sources of being an informant from 1967 to 69 for the Public Disorder Intelligent Unit of the uh, L.A. Police Department, because mm. of course he was. Right. These guys aren't all... These guys aren't who they say they are ever. Right. Did I mean, look at look at um um The Departed. Right. Damn dude was an informant the whole time. Right. Jeez. The whole time. Didn't whole time. even know it. The whole time. Didn't even know it. We got a rat in the group. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I know that for a fact. <laughs> DeFreeze had been active in the Black Culture Association while at the California Medical Facility, a state prison facility in Vacaville, California, where he made uh, contacts with members of Vince Ramos. He sought refuge among these contacts and ended up at a commune known as Peking House. Or a commune. Right. And uh, in the, uh, known as Peking House in the San Francisco Bay Area. Peking House? Isn't that like a Chinese thing? I don't know. Vince Ramos, associates, and future SLA members Willie Wolf and Russell Little, concerned with the potential for exposure through surveillance at the high-profile Peking House, arranged for DeFreeze to move in with their associate, Soltzik, to the relative uh, nominee of Concord, California. DeFreeze and Soltzik 
became lovers. Salt, salt to sick. Right. Uh, they became lovers and began to outline the plans for founding the Sibianese nation. You know, they're, like they're banging. And they're like, hey, uh, you know what we should do? We should found some Sibianese stuff. Great affection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, guys, for the uh, attempt to be funny. On uh, November 6, 1973, in Oakland, two members of the SLA killed school superintendent Marker, Marcus Foster and oh. badly wounded his deputy, oh, Robert no. Blackburn, as no. the two men left an Oakland school board meeting. The hollow point bullets used to kill Foster had been packed with cyanide. Oh, uh, In case these don't kill you, this will. <laughs> uh, although Foster had been the first black scoop, uh, school superintendent in the history of Oakland, the SLA had condemned him for a supposed plan to introduce identification cards into Oakland schools, calling them fascist. Oh, come Of on. course. Because even when one of their own, presumably, I don't know the race of any of these guys so far, but even when one of their own are doing what they don't like, um, oh, they still find a way to oh, uh, disagree with them they because they want do. ID cards. Right. Get the hell uh, out of here. And ID cards are great, especially in school. We can't, we can't have and a then, bunch of and kids. Then, and then you guys bitch and complain. The same people are bitch and complain about ID cards in schools. You bitch and complain that, uh, oh, aren't there more security at school? How can these kids just walk in and start shooting everybody? Right. Well... What, you want to put metal detectors at the doors? What, are my kids in prison? Yes. <laughs> Come well, on. nowadays it is. Right. Well. Well. In fact. In fact. Foster had already withdrawn his support for the ID cards at the time of his murder. Oh. January 10th, 1974. Joseph Romero and Russell Little were arrested and charged with Foster's murder. Mm. Initially, both men were convicted of the murder. Both men received sentences of life imprisonment. Seven years later, 5th of June, 1981, Little's conviction was overturned by the California Court of Appeals, and he was later acquitted in a retrial in Monterey County. Okay, wow. Romero remains incarcerated in the San Quentin State Prison, serving his life sentence. Little has stated, who actually pulled the trigger that killed Foster was Ms. Moon. That is Soltisic. Nancy Ling Perry was supposed to shoot Blackburn. She kind of botched that, and DeFreeze ended up shooting him with a shotgun. So it was supposed to be Nancy and Ms. Moon doing the Moitas. No, he said who actually pulled the trigger that killed him was Ms. Moon. Right. Nancy Ling Perry was supposed to do it, but uh, DeFreeze ended up shooting him with a shotgun, and then Ms. Moon must have killed the shot that killed right, him. Right, or right. fired the shot that killed him. Huh? Right, right. Well, in response to the arrest of Romero and Little, the SLA began planning their next action. They said, we got to kidnap an important figure to negotiate the release of our imprisoned comrades. Mm. Well, documents found by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, <laughs> at one abandoned safe house revealed that an action plan was planned for the full moon of January 17th. Uh-oh. The FBI as good on a full moon in California, right? Oh, uh, the FBI, as usual, didn't take any precautions. <laughs> and the SLA did not act until a month later. Is this still, what's his face? In the 70s, yep. Oh, jeez. Jay Edgar, man. That doesn't matter, even... FBI gets so many tips, all they have, they don't care. Right. And the SLA, yeah, they didn't act until a month later. On February 4th, 1974, publishing heiress, Patty Hearst, who is the uh, daughter of the conglomerate guy, William H. Hearst. Some people might have heard of him. She's a sophomore at the University of California at Berkeley. She was kidnapped from a Berkeley residence at apartment 4, 2603 Benven- Benvenue Avenue. The kidnapping occurred less than three months after November 73 San Francisco Chronicle story in the society section announcing the Hearst Stephen Weed betrothal, which is a wedding, obviously, right. which had the address given. Stupid. Dummies. The SLA had chosen to kidnap Hearst to increase the news coverage of the incident. Obviously. All right. So we get a little kidnapping here. Well, word on the street. I was actually researching Patty Hearst. 
but her life wasn't interesting enough. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it was, but what happens with her is crazy. To be honest with you, you'll come, you'll see it coming up. But, uh, um, she was one of several heiresses to the, uh, Right, fortune, and her parents didn't think it was necessary to give her like security and shit. So that's mm-hmm. why uh, she got kidnapped. But right. yeah, the SLA issued an ultimatum to the Hearst family, namely that they would release Patty in exchange for the freedom of Romero and Little. That's never going to happen, right? When such an arrangement proved impossible, the SLA demanded a ransom in the form of a food distribution program. Oh, aren't they? Aren't they saints? Right. The value of the food to be distributed uh, fluctuated. On February 23rd, demand for $4 million. It peaked at $400 million. <laughs> Although free food was distributed, the operation was halted when violence erupted at one of the four distrib- distribution points. Yeah, they, eventually they push it up to, they wanted every, they wanted them to give $70 to every, um, every, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Every poor person, pretty much, right. in the area. And the amount would have added up to $400 million. So that tells you how many poor people that were living in the area at the time, huh? Right. This happened because the the, the violence happened because the crowds were much greater than expected. Oh, come on now. And people were injured as panicked workers threw boxes of food off of moving trucks into the ground. Like, here, just take it. It's like a happy Gilmore. He's like, here, take this. Leave us alone. Jeez. <laughs> mister, mister. <laughs> After the SLA demanded that a community coalition called the Western Edition Project Area Committee be put in charge of the food distribution, 100,000 bags of groceries were handed out at 16 locations across four counties between February 26th and the end of March. Okay. And still didn't prove uh, successful in letting her go, by the way. Right. Jeez. Wow. The FBI conducted an unsuccessful search as the SLA took refuge in a number of safe houses. Hearst later claimed she was subjected to a series of ordeals while in SLA captivity that her mother would later describe as brainwashing. Okay. The change in Hearst politics has been attributed to Stockholm Syndrome, a psychological response in which a hostage exhibits apparent loyalty to the abductor. Seen it a bunch of times. Yes. Hearst was later examined by specialist psychologist Margaret Singer, who came to the same conclusion. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Terrence Hallinan. Maybe did she really thought about it? Well, maybe she really turned. She's still alive. Still doing stuff. Terrence Hallinan, the first attorney who represented her, was planned to argue involuntary intoxication, a side effect of which is amnesia. Huh. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Hearst attorney F. Lee Bailey used the Stockholm Syndrome argument as part of the defense at trial. During Hearst's subsequent trial, her lawyer claimed that she had been confined in a closet barely large enough for her to lie down in, that her contract, her contact with the outside world was regulated by her captors, and that she was regularly threatened with execution. Hmm. Sure she was. Hearst's lawyer contended that she had been raped by DeFreeze and Wolf. Both died before Hearst's capture and trial. Oh. Yeah, we'll get to that. The SLA claimed to be holding Hearst according to the conditions of the Geneva Convention. So, the, wait. Claimed to be holding Hearst according to the conditions of the... So you can hold people hostage? Politically hostage? Is that a thing? For the Geneva Conventions? <clears throat> I have to look up the... Uh, the um, conditions of the Gen- Geneva Conventions, but... Does it say you can hold people hostage for political reasons? I don't know, man. Mm. Somebody, uh, if you guys know if you can hold people hostage under the Geneva Convention, email <laughs> us at uh, bangdangpodcast at gmail.com and let right. us know. I mean, you can that seems a little iffy there that they would allow that. But right. I mean, yeah, isn't the Geneva Convention like supposed to stop that kind of stuff? I thought so. All right. 
The SLA subjected Hearst to indoctrination in SLA ideology. Oh, sounds like Jonestown. Right. In Hearst's taped recordings, used to announce the man's condition, Hearst can first be heard. Hearst can first be heard expressing SLA ideology on day 13 of her capture. With each video, Hearst voiced increasingly support for the aims of the SLA. So now she's, they're like, they're like looking at it in real time. Every video she puts out, she's increasingly becoming indoctrined and, right. and going to them, to, to their ideologies. Well, they're very, you know, his, all we want to do is feed the hungry, give the fuck right. forward some more money. And well, I think that's nice. We and, just want to give and, them food. and people, people like your family is the one that's stepping in the way of this and, and suppressing the poor and all that stuff. I guarantee that's what they were saying. I can see to her, that. Dude. I can see that. Uh, uh, brainwashing uh, mm. an heiress. Uh, she eventually denounced her former life, yep. her parents, mm. and her fiancé. She did. She later claimed at that point when the SLA had ostensibly given her the option of being released or joining the SLA. She had believed she would be killed if she had turned them down. Right. She began using the pseudonym Tania after Che Guevara's associate, Tania the Gorilla. Okay, so now we uh, suppose we... Have her in the mix, and she's supporting them. Right. Uh, we got a picture of uh, what's going to happen here. Patty Hearst is in a bank with DeFrost, or DeFreeze, DeFrost, um, willingly uh, waving around a shotgun and robbing a bank with these guys. So we'll see what happens there. The SLA's next action was the robbery of Hibern- Hibernia Bank Branch at 1450 Noriega Street in San Francisco, during which two civilians were shot. Oh, no. At 10 a.m. on April 15, 1974, SLA members burst into the bank, including Hearst holding a rifle. Uh-oh. And the security camera footage of Hearst became an iconic image. Of course it did. She has denied willing involvement in the robbery in her book, Every Secret Thing. Uh-oh. There's a cheap plug for her. Right. The uh, group was able to get away with over $10,000. Waste time. Yes. Hearst was later sentenced to seven years in prison for her participation. Her sentence was later commuted after two years incarceration by Jimmy Carter. And she was eventually pardoned full-time by uh, Bill Clinton. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later. Really? Jeez. SLA believed that its future depended on its ability to acquire new members, and they realized this. Because of the killing of Marcus Foster, few, if any, uh, people in the Bay Area underground wish to join them. Well, no shit. When you right. claim that you're, you're going to be like this peaceful, you want peace for the whole world, but then right. you go and kill this guy. Now you're murdering people. And Idiot. You're, you're kidnapping people. And Stupid. now you're robbing banks. Right. Jeez. Wait, come on. We need money. Right. We need money to fund this operation. The only way we're going to get it is by robbing a bank. But that's not what we're supposed to stand for. Mm-hmm. But we have no other choice. Talking about the banks. The banks are the ones hey, screwing the us. The banks are the ones robbing us. That's only right. That's how they think. They're, right. they're, they're doing great. Mm-hmm. Get out of there. Sink suggested moving the organization to his former neighborhood in L.A., where he had friends who, who he could maybe recruit. Right. However, however, they had difficulty becoming established in the new area. I would assume. It's that's LA. A, I mean, by that time, all the other people are established there. Right. And, uh, yeah, good luck. That's LA relied on commandeering housing and supplies in LA, thus alienating the people who were ensuring their secrecy and right. protection. Ain't nobody gonna, ain't nobody gonna, um, keep your secrecy if you're taking their houses and shit from I mean, them. these guys are just. They're idiots already, and it's like, like the Biden administration. It's another here. common theme that we do. <laughs> it's another common theme we do with these episodes. People are idiots. All idiots. Of them. At this stage, the imprisoned SLA member. How many people are in this? Uh, I'd like to know. A few. They had to have quite a bit, right? To be able to do what they're doing. Twenty. There was about fifteen. Twenty. Yeah. At this stage, the imprisoned SLA member Russell Little said that he believed the SLA entirely lost sight of its goals and had entered into a confrontation with the police rather than a political dialogue with the public. Obviously. Yes. 
Yes, what we've just been saying. And they've, they've lost that since the beginning. Right. The whole plan was nothing but violence. He was the one that killed the guy. Right. Well, well he claims he didn't. But Jeez. on May 16, 1974, Tico and Yolanda, who are William and Emily Harris, right. uh, entered Mel's Sporting Goods store in Los Angeles suburb of Inglewood to shop for supplies. Uh-oh. Shop. Right. While like. Well, yeah, okay. While Yolanda <laughs> made the purchases, Tico on a whim decided to shoplift a bandolier. Oh, come on. When a security guard confronted him, Tico brandished a revolver. A bandolier. He's going to he's going to he's going to shop shoplift a bandolier. What is a bandolier? I think it's like a, a little guitar, isn't it? All right, where are they at? No, it's a You said it was a hard, hardware store, didn't you? Uh, it's a bag. Oh, a bandolier. Yeah, it is a bag. Individual oh. bullets or belts of ammunition. A slung slashed out. Yeah, but it, uh, yeah, so okay, yeah, like a little yeah, like little, a little pouch. A satchel. A man purse, they call it nowadays. Right. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Well, after he, uh, after he drew the, uh, revolver, right, right? After he drew the revolver around the old guard, the guard knocked a gun out of his hand. He's like, get that out of here. He's like, how about this? <laughs> Play some handcuffs on William's left wrist. Hearst. On an armed lookout from the group's van across the street, began shooting at the store's overhead sign. Everyone in the store but the Harrises took cover, and the Harrises fled to fled the store and drove off with Hearst. Okay. As a result of the SLA's bot shoplifting incident, the police acquired the address of the safe house from a parking ticket in the glove box of the van, which had been abandoned. Oh, they didn't even leave in the van? What a bunch of idiots, dude. Jeez. The rest of the SLA fled the safe house when they saw the events on the news. I would assume so. That's smart. The SLA took over a house occupied by Christine Johnson and Minnie. They're just taking they just, over. They just walk into people's houses like, this is our headquarters. It's like during the Civil War. Right. <laughs> like, Jeez, like, like, this, is our, this is our headquarters now, people. Wow. They're like, okay, I guess. Okay. One of the people in the house at the. I am D Captain now. Right. I am D Captain DeFreeze. I am D Captain DeFreeze now. <laughs> One of the people in the house at the time was a then 17 year old neighbor named Brenda Daniels, Uh-oh. who was sleeping on the couch. Daniel recalls the events that day. She said, I went down to Minnie's every Thursday evening to play some cards and drink a little. Oh, nice. I fell asleep early when I woke up around 2 a.m. I saw to drink four- a little at 17 years old? Uh, of course, man. Damn. I saw four white women and three dudes, two oh. black and one white. I saw guns spread out all over the floor, and I asked them why they had guns more than I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> they didn't answer, and instead the black dude asked me my name and then introduced me to everyone. She asked if... uh Oh, they asked her if Patty Hearst was there, and she said, man, how can I tell? All white women look the same to me. Uh, Brenda Daniels, clearly an African-American. Right. So she'd pass out on the motherfucking couch. Imagine that, though, passing out on the couch, and all of a sudden you wake up, and all these strange-ass people with guns all over the place. You're like, yeah, I think it's time for me to go home. Right. Hmm. It's been a good day for me to be at Minnie's. Right, yeah. I don't think I'm coming to Minnie's no more. Right. (laughs) The next day, an anonymous phone call to the LAPD stated that several health... Healthy. (laughs) Healthy and heavily armed. (laughs) Stated that several heavily armed people were staying at the caller's daughter's house. So I don't think it's too anonymous if it's the caller's daughter's house. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is Minnie's parents calling. (laughs) Keep me anonymous. All right, keep me anonymous. That afternoon. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) That afternoon, more than 400 LAPD officers. Oh, shit. Under the command of Captain Mervyn King. Dang, we got like a little Civil War battle skirmish. Right, dude. <laughs> right, well, who's the Brigadier General? Uh, <laughs> Brigadier General <laughs> Mervyn King. Calvary and right. infantry, all this shit. Dang. Under the command of Captain Mervyn King, along with the FBI, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, California High Patrol, and uh, L.A. Fire Department. What, you need a fire department, I guess. You never know. Right, and they surrounded this neighborhood. They're like, ain't no whole neighborhood. Now. Right. 
the leader of a SWAT team, dang, used a bullhorn to announce occupants of 1466 East 54th Street. This is the Los Angeles Police Department speaking. Come out with your hands up. Ooh. Well, at that point, a young child walked out along with an older man. The man stated that no one else was in the house, but the child intervened, saying that several people were in the house with guns and ammunition. <laughs> Stupid, no kids. Yeah, Stupid, <laughs> Stupid kids. Stupid kids. Stupid kids. Can't trust kids. Guns everywhere. <laughs> Bullets. After several more attempts to get anyone else out uh, in the house to leave, a member of the SWAT team fired tear gas projectiles into the house. Uh-oh. This was answered by heavy bursts of automatic gunfire, Obviously. and a violent gun battle began. The police were firing semi-automatic AR-15 and AR-180 rifles. Uh, they better think. They learned no. This is before. Oh. Um, this before. This is before oh, the Hollywood yeah. shootout. Right. So well, the SWAT team was already there. So that's right. why it's SWAT yeah. has what they, what right. They need. But uh, regular officers didn't start right. carrying them until the Hollywood right. shootout. That They're you like, guys can go and listen to. Like, we uh, did that a couple weeks ago. You guys can go shoot. You got to get yeah, the guns. We'll, we'll be here. We'll, we'll be here with our rifles and our right. pistols. Jeez. The SLA members were armed with M1 carbines, Ooh. which had been converted to fully automatic. Oh, bump stop. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Police also reported that the SLA had made homemade grenades from 35 millimeter film canisters and had thrown them at responding officers. Jeez. During the shootout, police continued to fire dozens of tear gas grenades into the home, trying to flush out the SLA members. Right. About two hours into the shootout, the house caught fire, probably due to an exploding tear gas canister. Yeah, I would assume. As the house began to burn, two women left from the rear, and one came out the front. She had to come in drunk the previous night, passed out, and then woken up in the middle of the siege. Dang, that sucks. No, the worst than uh, waking up to a bunch of guys with guns on the ground. You're waking up to uh, a hail of both right. bullets. Don't she didn't die. All these were taken into custody, but were found not to be. So clearly, this house, SLA members. This house was a uh, party house, right? Anyways, yeah, they probably knew that. That's why they went there. Automatic weapons fire continued from the house. At this point, Nancy Ling Perry and Camilla Hall came out of the house. Investigators working for her, investigators working for their parents would claim that they walked out intending to surrender and that they were unarmed. But police later stated Hall was shot in the head by police as she oh, aimed a weapon no. towards them oh, while no. Perry was providing covering fire. I don't know about that. After Hall's body fell to the ground, it was pulled back inside the burning house by Angela Atwood, who was another member, I'm assuming. Perry followed Hall out of the house, firing a pistol at officers as she emerged and was shot twice. Her body remained outside the house. Mm, they weren't going to get her. <laughs> Jeez. They weren't going to get her. So what's going on here? First, they're saying they're unarmed. Who says this? The uh, investigators that the parents hired claim they walked out intending to surrender, but the police are saying they came out shooting. And they were unarmed. Police later stated that Hall was shot in the head by police as she aimed. Fire. Was, All right. Uh, there's no way to prove it. So. Mm, unless they... Sprinkled some crack on her and uh, <laughs> put a gun in her hand. Right. The rest died inside from smoke inhalation, mm. burns, and gunshot wounds. Oh, that's a hell of a combo. The coroner's report concluded that Donald DeFreeze committed suicide by shooting. Hey, shoes. look, another pussy. Right. Jeez, these guys are like watching all these people fight for him. And he that, they, that they in doctrine and right. they fucking uh, freaking came to and he takes this uh, make way him out. follow him and they do that. And he right. takes this way out. Mm. Mm. After the shooting stopped and the fire was extinguished, 19 firearms, including rifles, pistols, and shotguns, were recovered. Thousands of rounds had been fired out of the house by the SLA and police in response. 
had fired several thousands of rounds into the house. Jeez, so out and in, huh? Jeez. This remains one of the largest police shootouts in United States history, with a reported total of over 9,000 rounds being fired. 4,000 by the SLA, 5,000 by the police. That is crazy. Every round fired from SLA members at the police missed the officers. Wow. How in the hell did 4,000 bullets? 4,000. And they all, every one of them missed and didn't get nobody else. There were no casualties among law enforcement, firefighters, <laughs> or civilians. <laughs> what? Yeah. This is a heavily populated uh, block? Well, they, they did have the 400 officers that came in and surrounded the neighborhood, so they probably evacuated everybody, I would assume. But so. come on, 4,000 bullets. Somebody had to get grazed Actual, somewhere. Apparently not. The SLA dead were Nancy Ling Perry, whose nickname was Fahiza. Angela Atwood, who is known as General Jelena. Camila Hall, who's known as Gabby. Willie Wolf, Kajo. Kajo, misspelled by the media at the time as Cujo. Yeah. Donald DeFries as Sink and Patricia Soltis. Soltis. Soltisic. Soltisic. Who was uh, Ms. Moon and, Ms. Moon. and, and Zoya. Zoya at a time. But uh, all but one of the bodies were found huddled in a crawl space under the house, which had burned down around them. Mm. New broadcasting technology which was smaller portable cameras and more nimble and versatile mobile units that made it easier to cover unfolding news events had recently been acquired by area TV stations. So Hearst and the Harrises were able to watch the televised siege live from the hotel room in Anaheim. Oh, no. And they're already on the run for the robbery. Right. So they're seeing all this shit go down. They're like, oh, they're man. They're like, dude, what, what is happening here? Dang. Well, I bet my boy DeFries, he's, he's taking control of all this. Yeah, I no. bet, you, bet you he comes out on top. All those pigs are going to die. Right. Uh, what happened to DeFree? Shot himself in the head. Shot him out the head. <laughs> oh, wow. Cowards. Cowards. Ezra, yeah, cowards. Just like uh, old Jonesy. Old Jim Jones and uh, Sam Elliott from 1883. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we were doing um, Wild West episodes. We didn't have nobody that shot themselves and nobody, committed no, suicide. They, were, they went out like a... Freaking right. man. In the blaze of glory. Blaze of song. glory. <laughs> in the blaze of glory. I hate that song. Dumb. I hate that guy. As a result of the siege, the remaining SLA members returned to their relative safety of the San Fran Bay Area and protection of student radical households. <laughs> At this time, a number of new members gravitated towards SLA. Why? When you just well, watch they, all yeah, the Yeah, they die. probably like, yeah, you know how stupid kids are, though. I know. Like, oh, my God. Well, you see these guys? They're martyrs. Right. Good cause. Statues. The active participants <laughs> at this time were Bill and Emily Harris, mm-hmm. Patty Hearst, mm-hmm. Wendy Yoshimura, siblings Steve and Kathleen Solaya. Is there a movie on this? James Kilgore, Kathleen Solaya's boyfriend, and Michael Borton. Um, I believe, yeah, there's several things on this. Movie. On April 21st, 1975, the remaining members of the SLA robbed the Crocker National Bank in Carmichael, California. During the robbery, bank customer Myrna Lee Opsel. A 42-year-old mother of four was killed when Emily Harris discharged the shotgun she was holding, oh, no. apparently by accident. Oh, jeez. Five SLA members were ultimately held accountable for the murder and robbery, but not until almost 27 years later in early 2002. What a sloppy, sloppy shotgun holder, Emily. Uh, come on, Emily. Come on. Idiot. Look at that little smug mug shot, too. It should be called a smug shot. Smug. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Patty Hearst. After yep. a long, we go back highly. To, we go back to Patty. Right. After a long and highly publicized search, was captured September 18th, 1975, along with the Harrises, Stephen Solia, Yoshimura, all rounded up in San Fran safe houses. In Hearst's uh, arrest affidavit, 
She claimed that the SLA members had used LSD to drug her and had forced her to take part in the bank raid. I mean, I'm sure they're all on LSD. I'm sure she was forced the first time, and after that, you don't have to force. <laughs> right, you're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they only have to force the first time. Right. She was convicted of the Hibernia bank robbery and sentenced to seven years in prison. United States President Jimmy Carter commuted the sentence uh, for 21 months. Time served. Yep. After she had been in prison for 21 right. months. Uh, she was pardoned by President Bill Clinton after on his last day in office. The Harrises were convicted for their part in the Hearst kidnapping and spent eight years in prison. Police allegedly consulted physics, psychics in searching for physics, psychics in searching for hers. On February 26, 1976, a Los Angeles County grand jury indicted, indicted! Oh, no. Kathleen Ann Celaya on explosives and conspiracy charges, oh, accusing geez. her of planting pipe bombs on her two LAPD squad cars in August of 75 with the intent to kill police officers and retribution for the SLA member deaths and the shootout. The devices did not detonate. Mm. How long did she get sentenced for? Oh, we're about to see that. Oh. Well, Celia went on a run, mm-hmm. moving to Minnesota, living a quiet, upper-middle-class life under the alias Sarah Jane Olson. Dude, this is the house she lived in. Beautiful. So that bitch went and uh, made it big because uh, well, she married. <laughs> upper-middle-class life. Sarah Jane Olson, was she called? She's like, that's my she name. She called herself. Well, she married a doctor, had three daughters. Jeez. Well, a fugitive for over 21 years. 21 years, dude. Can you imagine that? Like, She probably thought she was all good after the first... 20. Right. <laughs> She's like, it's, like, it's been 20. I think I'm good. After the first like 10, probably. Yeah. 10 years, I think. I'm thinking five, good. maybe, right? Mm, I think five years is still a little too fresh. Oh, right. Even 10. Man, even 20 years. <laughs> I know, dude. <laughs> 60, even. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, finally, the FBI caught up caught up with her and arrested Celia, which is she's calling herself Olsen, in 1999. After a tip was received by the television show America's that Most damn Wanted. America's Most Wanted, man, they they uh <laughs> they did a lot of damage to fugitives over twenty right. years, you know. And they must wanted her because uh, they aired this episode twice. Wow, two thousand one, she pleaded guilty to possession of explosives with the intent to murder, sentenced to two consecutive terms of ten years to life. She's getting twenty to life, mm-hmm. although she probably served twelve. Although she had been told as part of a plea bargain that she would serve no more than eight. Um. See, a show like America's Most Wanted wouldn't work nowadays because there's so much shit to watch. Right. And there's so much shit that you can just right. consume. Right. Back then in the 80s, especially that, I mean, there was only so few channels and cable. Everybody's watching network television. So true. everybody's everybody's seen America's Most Wanted. It's true. Everybody. Nowadays, there's a million shows like America's Most Wanted. Well, that's why on Live PD, they used to do just a little five-minute segment. She attempted to change her plea, claiming to the judge that she pleaded guilty only because she believed she could not receive a fair trial for bombing charges considering public sentiment after the 9-11 attacks. Okay. I mean, it's uh, plausible on her part, I guess. She maintained her innocence, insisting that she personally had had nothing to do with making, possessing her placement of the pipe bombs. Okay. The judge refused her request. The Opsal murder slash Crocker bank robbery cold case was finally pursued due to new evidence brought forth through the efforts of the L.A. deputy dis- district attorneys who had prosecuted Olson. Okay. She was the one that fired it, right? Right. Yeah. So she's about to go down. Yeah, she has to. She's about to go down. She has to. January 16th, 2002, first-degree murder charges for the killing of Myrna Opsal were filed against Sarah Jane Olson, Emily Harris, William Harris, Michael Barton, and James Kilgore. Oh, you guys are all going down. All were living above ground and were promptly arrested except for Kilgore, above ground in 
They weren't in hiding. Right. They 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 knew where they, these people were. Well, uh, I think they were living just like Olsen was with uh, right. assumed names. and right. They thought they were getting away right. with shit. Except for Kilgore, who remained at large for nearly another year in South Africa. September. September. Damn, you can't even move to another part of the globe. Dude. Right. You're going to find your ass. Right. Right. Uh, November. He shouldn't have went to South Africa. That's stupid. November 7th. Well, not only that. Not because he was going to get caught. South Africa is a dangerous ass place, too, right. dude. I would not go there. <laughs> November 7, 2002. Olsen, the Harrises, and Borton plead guilty to reduce second degree murder charges. Emily Harris, now known as Emily Montag, admit- Montagu, man. Right. Admitted to being the one holding the murder weapon, but said that the shotgun had gone off accidentally. She's like, I swear to you. I didn't mean to. Mm. Hers had claimed that Montagu had dismissed the murder at the time, saying she was a gorgeous pig anyway. Her husband is a doctor. Ah. In court, Montagu denied having said this and added, I do not want the family to believe that we ever considered her life insignificant. Right. Sentences were handed down on February 14, 2003, one a day of love for her Mm-mm. in Sacramento on all four defendants in the Opso murder case. Monago was sentenced to eight years for the murder, second degree. Oh, no. Her former husband, William Harris, was sentenced to seven years and Borden for six. Oh, jeez. Olson was sentenced to six years, adding two consecutively to the 14-year sentence she had already received. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. Uh, all sentences were the maximum allowed under their plea bargains. Wow. So they got off easy, actually. Yeah. But still, they're old people now. November 8th. 2002, James Kilgore, who had been a fugitive since 1975, that's a long time to be 27 years, man. Was arrested in South Africa and extradited to the United States to face federal explosives and passport fraud charges. Prosecutors alleged that a pipe bomb had been found in Kilgore's apartment in 1975 and that he had obtained a passport under a false name. You can go to prison for 20 years just for that. Yep. He pleaded guilty to the charges in 2003. Oh, and he was guilty. (laughs) Sarah Jane Olson was expecting to receive a sentence of five years and four months. But in stiffening Olson's sentence, the prison board turned to a seldom-used section of state law, allowing it to recalculate sentences for old crimes in light of new, tougher sentencing guidelines. Oh. She instead was sentenced to 14 years, which was later reduced to 13. Oh, good for her. Plus six years for her role in the Opso killing. Oh, jeez. 20 years. Hers had immunity because she was a state's witness, but there was no trial. She never testified. Oh. Didn't need to, apparently, because I already got 20 years for her. Right. Wow. 26th of April, 2004. Kilgore was sentenced to 54 months in prison. That's it? Hey, this dude's... Do you think they'll, they'll, like, add interest? You know, if you get out of loan, you get interest for the amount of years that you had to pay it off. Or if there's late payments or something, there's more interest. This dude's been a fugitive for 20, 27 years. 27 years. They should have uh, took that in consideration <laughs> and gave him at least another 12 months. <laughs> or just let him go. Like, dude... <laughs> Congrats. No, man. You got to get that money. 27 years. Anyhow, April 26, 2004, Kilgore was sentenced to 54 months in prison mm-hmm. for the explosives passport fraud charges. He was the last remaining SLA member to face federal prosecution. 54 months. Jeez. Dude was out in a year and a half. After serving six years of the prison sentence, Sarah Jane Olson was released on parole, reunited well, with so her she family. Got off, oh, six years out of 20? Good for her. Right. Reunited with the family in California on 17th of March, 2008. Damn, they took her back, too. But after a discovery that her release was premature because of a clerical error, an arrest warrant oh. was issued. Oh, no. Wow. She was arrested at L.A. International Airport and notified that her right to travel out of state had been rescinded. She was returned to prison. Damn, that was something to blow over. But what year was that? 2008. Oh. Didn't last long because on March 17, 2009, she was released. Later. 
this time correctly after serving seven years of her 14-year sentence. Go. She was a check-in with a parole officer in Los Angeles where it would be determined that she, uh, if she would be allowed to serve a parole in St. Paul, Minnesota, with oh. her husband and three daughters. Several officials, including the governor of Minnesota, urged that she serve her parole in California. Damn, governor. <laughs> but she was finally allowed to serve it in Minnesota. I mean, why not, right? She's got a family and stuff. I mean, right. I'm surprised she, her husband stuck around. I mean, hey, man. Right. On May 10, 2009, James Kilgore was released from prison in California. As of 2016, founding member Joseph Romero remains incarcerated, serving a life sentence for the, the murder of Marcus Foster. He is the only SLA member still in prison and was up for parole in, ni- in 2019, but was denied and denied. Uh, up until this point denied parole 11 times. Yeah, he ain't getting out. So, um, he ain't getting out. This guy ain't getting out. He ain't getting out. He's, no. he's spending life there, man. He's good. It, if DeFreeze would have got caught, he would be there, too. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, he took the pussy way out, right. as usual. He's spending life and hell. And eternal damnation. Right. Right. <laughs> he will not rest in peace. He will not. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for the... Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, this happens all the time. This story right here is, is a dime a dozen. You get these morons who have this belief... And they're probably smooth talkers. They get a bunch of people to follow them and off of bullshit. And the only thing they want to do is just take everybody's money and shit. They want to do what Bernie Sanders they and try to Joe claim, Biden. They try to, to claim that they're doing it for the good of peace right. and, and all that shit. But as we can, we've just uh, went over with nothing about there. What they want to do with and, and uh, the thing was when you start forcing your beliefs, that's the problem. You don't force it. The original purpose of this group was to have the unity of all left-wing struggles, feminists, anti-racist, anti-capitalists, and others. Right. Nothing like this happened the whole no. time that these guys were active. All they did was rob banks, kill people, and do dumb shit. The only thing that was decent was the first part of the uh, the kidnapping where they had to give all the, the food out. Right. Other than that, nothing. And then it was just murder after that. So there you go. Another... Uh, Another story of indoctrinating people, and this is kind of, kind of like a mini cult, I guess right. you would say. Um, yeah, fresh off of Jonestown, not obviously near as severe as that, but well, still, this this was a call, but not about let's kill ourselves. Resulted basically, in, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of them did <laughs> by suicide, suicide by cop. Right. Um, still the largest shootout, police shootout in history, I believe. Crazy stuff. This is the type of stuff that you get on Outlaws and Gunslingers. You never know. Never heard of any of these guys before. And I heard of the Patty Hearst thing, and the, everybody knows William H. Hearst, right. big, uh, big conglomerate guy, um, media media company guy, and right. all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. I urge you, urge you strongly to go uh, check out Patty Hearst's story because there's a lot more she did after uh, the uh, convictions and all that stuff. She actually went and starred in a couple of movies. She... What was she in? She was in, um, well, they made a movie about this, about her period in the, uh, gang called Abduction, Patty, Tanya, the ordeal of oh. Patty Hearst, Captive, Patty Hearst, Gorilla, the taking of Patty Hearst, the radical story of Patty Hearst, Drunk History, the kidnapping of Patty Hearst, an American woman. Uh, I gotta watch the Drunk History one. That's that TV show. Yeah. That's oh, fun. she, uh, appeared in feature films, films, and such as Crybaby. Serial Mom, Pecker, Cecil B. Demented, and A Dirty Shame. She wasn't Crybaby, huh? She also appeared in the episode Lord of the Pies and Veronica Mars. She was in an episode of Frasier. And uh, she made a cameo in uh, Biodome. So she went on to do some things. Plus wrote and 
She wrote a couple books and. Uh, Wait a minute. She was in Fraser in 1994. Well, she was a fugitive. She wasn't a fugitive. They got her in 75. Remember, she had immunity. Oh, Patty Hearst. Right. Yeah, I was thinking of the other one. Uh, she also participates in uh, dog shows. Her shih-, shih Tzu Rocket won the toy group at the Westminster Do- Kennel Dog Club show at Madison Square Garden on February 16, 2015. Right. At the 2017 show, her French bulldog Tuggy won Best of Breed, and uh, Ruby won Best of Opposite Sex. So she's out there at dog shows right now uh, getting shit done. Oh, yeah. Look so at that. she went on and... Uh, did some stuff over there, man. So yeah, go look up her story because she did a lot of stuff after, after all this. So good for her, I guess. Ugly bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna do it for Outlaws and Gunslingers. This week's episode of the Symbionese Federal things. What were they? <laughs> <laughs> Symbionese Liberation Army. We'll be, we will be back next week for. They were they were the United Federated Forces of the Symbionese Liberation, Liberation Army. Army. SLA. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll, we will be back next week for the two parter, most likely of uh, the Unabomber. Maybe. Maybe I'll stick it into one. Uh, we, uh, I mean, if we want to do an hour and a half show, who knows? It's going to be a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely going to be a two-parter. But it's worth it. Unabomber. Everybody knows the Unabomber. Another California. California, man. Everybody California, in California. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back for that. If you guys are interested in uh, Civil War, specifically Battles of the uh, American Civil War, you can go check out our podcast called The Battles of the American Civil War. We're currently in, I think, August or September of... 1861, first year of the war coming to a close, and uh, we're just getting started in terms of that because there's a lot more uh, good shit coming up there. So if you guys are interested in uh, history and American history, go check that out. Battles of the American Civil War. We'll be back next week for the Unabomber Part 1. Uh-oh. We are the Mouth of Michiganders. Bing, bing. <laughs>